Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. Risk Commentary Podcast, Episode 5, Is Your Strategic Planning Really Any Good? Well, we're getting into methods now, and I promise to start the discussion of the all-important risk identification and assessment process. So this is the core practice in enterprise risk management, which makes the whole initiative worthwhile. This is where the value is, and this is what makes it inspiring. Uh, So for that reason, I closely specify this process, and I have a special name for it. I call it high-quality risk assessment. So let me run through the agenda for the complete discussion of high-quality risk assessment. The points will be, number one, to investigate and fix the planning practice. Number two, establish the context. Number three, identify risk. Number four, evaluate risk. Number five, risk mitigation and review. And number six, how to conduct the high-quality risk assessment session. So I'm sure you recognized several points in there from the classic stages of the risk management process with a few other things thrown in. Notably, number one, investigate and fix the planning practice. So sort of maddeningly, we can't really start in with the risk ID itself. We have to backtrack and review what the organization is doing in terms of planning. This is really important. And in fact, will give us, I think, enough material for the entire podcast episode today. So already I can hear some people complaining, well, why this obsession with the planning practice? You know, can't we just start in with risk ID? You know, our planning is good enough. We all know what our goals are and so on and so forth. Well, let me tell you a few stories. Um, Perhaps you've already experienced some of this. When we first started experimenting with risk identification, we would have uh, rather informal discussions, roundtable sessions, and identify risk and pretty quickly I discovered, especially as the person who was responsible for sort of aggregating and making sense out of all of this information, that the whole thing was simply all over the map. What I mean is we had people identifying risk um, at the level of the national economy. We had people identifying risk at the level of the department. We had people identifying risk uh, in terms of, let's say, too many laptops or too much stationery went missing. In other words, the topic, the bounds of the discussion, and the scale of the discussion were not made clear. Add to that the difficulty that people really were conceptualizing risk as different things uh, in their own in their own minds. So some people would uh, conceptualize risk in sort of an alarmist way, and this is the most common thing for people who are not practiced at this. They sort of take the the view of uh, emergency risk and earthquake risk and uh, floods and fire and so on. In other words, all of the various hazards, without clearly conceiving risk as uh, as required in the standards as the uncertainty that is associated with goals and objectives. So my takeaway from this is do not try to identify risk simply by having an informal discussion without any method. That way is just going to lead to confusion. Well, let's assume that you've already established the fact that you have to identify risk in relation to planned goals. In that case, you're starting to look at the expressed goals of the organization. 
Now there, we run into a whole spectrum of different situations. One that is quite common is that there are no written goals, there's no planning process, and all of the goals and objectives and corporate values and so on simply reside in the person who's leading the organization. This is not uncommon, and it can lead to success, but if it does lead to success, it's only by force of that person's personality. Another similar situation is to simply have a process in place without any clear conceptualization of goals so that people in the organization simply repeat uh, actions, and that seems to be adequate. Now, in the case where you've actually got documented plans, and in formal settings, documented plans will be required, you'll have to sort of publish the intended goals and objectives, it's very often the case that they're not properly formulated. In other words, people are not clear on the definitions in the planning language that they're using. That means people don't all conceive of what a goal is in the same way, nor do they relate goal to objective in the same way, nor do they express values in the same way, or a vision in the same way, and so on. So you might think, well, you know, this is all rather pedantic. Do you really have to focus on definitions in such a, a minute way? It can be important. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say we work for uh, some sort of agency, whether it's public or private, and our intention is to build um, an online payment system. And we're charged with expressing our goals in this regard. Okay, so we, some people would, would say something like, uh, and I've seen this quite often, we're going to build the best online payment system west of the Rockies. Okay, we're going to build the, the best online payment system in the state, or whatever it is. Now, that in itself, although it's characterized as a goal, is not a goal uh, that we can really deal with. We cannot assess risk with a goal that is expressed like that, simply because, as risk managers, we don't know what the intended actions are. Now, that statement, to build the best online payment system west of the Rockies or in the state of Colorado or something like that, you know, that might be a, a good vision statement or at least part of a vision, but it's not an actionable goal. So that leads me to insist upon the clarification of the planning language and the definitions therein and to formulate goals properly so that they can be understood as something that is actionable and in this regard, you can look up just about any reference to what they call SMART goals, specific, measurable, actionable, and so on. And that will already be a huge improvement to any vague statement of goals. Well, let's continue on our spectrum of non-planning to more structured planning. All right, let's say we've got formulated goals that are pretty reasonable. We know that they're actionable. We can start to identify a risk. But there is a question that crops up. Well, how well informed are these goals? Did they really take into account what the industry trends are? Do we know what the competition is doing? Do we know what the emerging issues are that, that are coming up on the horizon? Do we know what the leading jurisdictions are doing? Have we sufficiently canvassed our major stakeholders in this regard? So it's entirely possible to have goals that are well formulated, well expressed, which is really good from the point of view of trying to identify risk, and yet, if those goals are not substantiated, if they're not well-informed, then already you're incurring risk. Now, these questions could be resonating with you, and if they are, it might be because you're at a specific point in the evolution of your organization or your business. That is, at a certain point, 
you know, after you've been chugging along for a while and things are going all right and you're starting to reach a certain level of revenue and maturity in the business, then there comes a critical point when you have to make or break. You have to start putting in place ordered systems. Now, this argument could apply not only to small business and startups and so on, but also uh, public sector agencies and nonprofits. In the early stages of the organizational development, it's probably okay and feasible to have uh, methods that are really not particularly organized. In other words, informal management, goals that are residing in the minds of uh, organizational leaders, executed by force of their own personal influence, their personality. But at the next stage of evolution, there's going to be sufficient level of sales, business activity, and scale of operations that all of a sudden things start to get complex. And it's no longer sufficient to do things in an informal manner because all of a sudden things start to go wrong. Too many mistakes are made. Deadlines are missed. The quality suffers, whether that be of a product or service. And people start to realize, okay, well, if we're going to move ahead, if we're actually going to mature as an organization, we really have to start setting up proper management systems. Or, on the other hand, just resign ourselves to a state of affairs where we're, we're going to be you know, making some headway and then falling back, making headway and falling back. And that's not really a sustainable approach because you're going to be overtaken by the competition or the credibility of the organization will start to falter and eventually it will fail. Well, you know, I've observed and lived through this crisis of development in various organizations, and I can say that in retrospect, it's much better, it's ideal, actually, if when starting up, you can begin with the correct methods. Start to put in place methods that are scalable, that can be expanded and will meet the demands of a higher volume of business and greater complexity of business activity and so on. So I started to look in detail at this whole management discipline of planning and put together a schema for a logical path to lead us to properly formulated and properly substantiated plans. So without going through the entire process, let's do a, a summary of the steps in a comprehensive planning process. So I begin with the planning team establishing what I call strategic identity, and that simply means taking an inward view and trying to define what is the character of the organization? What are our unique assets from the point of view of not just material assets, but also uh, capacities or um, competencies? And what is our position in the marketplace? Who do we serve? And who are our special constituents or, uh, or clients or customers? And what are the trends and conditions that are affecting those groups? So once we self-define and understand anew the people that we serve, we can state what our mission is, the reason for the existence of the organization. And keep in mind, at this point, we don't try to state specific goals, but rather we want to define the mission and our values, principles that guide behaviors. And finally, we want to assess in a frank manner our capacity for organizational change. So that might strike you as odd to try to look at our capacity for organizational change as part of a planning exercise, but really it becomes very important because we want to know what kind of culture are we dealing with. Are they progressive and asking for change, or are they rather conservative and reticent and so on? Well, if we've characterized sufficiently the organization itself, we can start to look outward and ask, all right, what's happening in the industry? What's happening in our particular vertical? 
what does our environmental scan tell us? Not only with regard to you know the basic uh, economic indicators and political analysis and so on, but what are the cutting edge developments? What are the emerging issues on the horizon that are going to really affect our industry? And have we also considered the various opportunities that might be coming up? It might also be appropriate to list all of the various stakeholders that have some dealings with the organization. I mean, uh, apart from the core client group or constituency, and to understand what are the motives, what are the trends, what are the issues that these groups are facing. This is going to affect our planning. All right, so at this point, we've looked both inward to characterize the organization itself, as well as outward to characterize the conditions in the environment and among our stakeholder groups. And I really think that only at this point are we really prepared to define what the vision is. So the vision is a word picture, a picture painted in words as to the ideal operation of the organization in some future state, without stating quite yet how we're planning to get there. What follows next is a gap analysis to compare the picture of the, the vision, the ideal operation of our organization, with the current state of affairs. And with that gap analysis, we can start to actually formulate our goals, our objectives, what we intend to accomplish in the next planning period, whether it's six months or a year. So I've been describing a complete process for strategic planning, which is, of course, uh, an important precursor for enterprise risk management. But I want to say a few words about the process. So the best information on planning will characterize it not as just the final documents, but actually a process, an iterative process. I want to emphasize that if you are at this crucial stage in the history of the development of the organization, this whole exercise of doing the strategic planning can be very profound. It can have real effects on the motivation, the spirit, uh, the morale of the organization as a whole as well as to consolidate the team building and cooperation among the members of the planning group themselves. So you might have decided as the leader of this initiative to call around the table people who have, let's say, considerable seniority in terms of their length of employment with the agency, and yet they've never been involved in any planning discussions before. And further, it could be possible to extend the discussion to the entire staff in the form of a blue sky session or something like that, so what we have here is a tremendous opportunity to engage not only the planning group, but also the, the full staff in a cooperative discussion of the company's future, which can rejuvenate the whole morale of the company. The whole exercise has to be framed and managed in a way that is fair and equitable to all concerned, so that staff have to take into account the difficulties that are faced by management in a new environment that is difficult, that has its own particular challenges, especially in the face of you know declining revenues or some other crisis. Conversely, management has to allow discussion of and take into account conditions of employment, staff concerns, opportunities to improve the HR regime, recruitment, retention, and so on. Well, we seem to have strayed quite far from risk management into strategic planning, but let's review the points that we covered today just to understand why we did that. One, high-quality risk assessment is a precise method. Now, we pay attention to that because it is the core practice that really generates value in the ERM regime. Number two, we can't start with risk ID, but must discuss at some length the first step in high-quality risk assessment to examine the planning practice of the organization. And it's the very definition of risk in the standards that makes this necessary. Three, 
in many organizations, we will likely discover that planning will be deficient either in the documentation of plans or in their specific formulation or in terms of background research. Four, this is typically seen in organizations that have reached a crisis point in their development where they have to make a break. In other words, they have to either build proper management systems or experience mediocre performance and possibly eventual failure. Number five, recognizing that proper strategic planning is the logical precursor to risk assessment, we can suggest the steps in a complete planning process. Number six, as staff participate in research and planning of strategy and operations, the company can experience a profound renewal of motivation and cooperative spirit. Number seven, there seems to be an 80-20 rule where 80% of the work undertaken by the risk management team could consist in trying to gain cooperation to improve the whole strategic and operational planning practice. The benefits are very significant, though, because once strategic planning is rationalized in this way, then the risk assessment process becomes very straightforward. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.